I like to say like the biggest side effect of microdosing is falling in love with yourself. Really beginning to like like who I am through all the trauma, through all the things. I had a big loud critic in my head and the first thing to help me with silencing it and changing the story was psilocybin in small doses. Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Adam Bramlage, founder and CEO of Flow State Micro, a functional mushroom company and microdosing education platform. Adam has helped hundreds of people from professional athletes to people suffering from addiction and depression achieve results through microdosing in his private practice. Adam will be hosting a free webinar with psychedelic pioneer and the father of modern microdosing, Dr. James Fadiman, PhD. Microdosing, start low, go slow on December 6th. This duo will also be presenting a digital offering live from Esalen on January 14th. That one is called Microdosing, the Safe, Surprising, and Emerging Psychedelic Frontier. If you're interested after hearing this interview, just go to the show notes. I'll put a link there to sign up. I highly recommend it. As you'll see from this interview, Adam is very skilled at delivering information designed to make any microdosing experience smart, secure, and safe. And Dr. James Fadiman, well, he's simply an excellent treasure. He's been a guest on this show before, a couple years back, in an episode called A Psychedelic History Lesson. Dr. Fadiman was one of the very first workshop leaders at Esalen. He helped lead a workshop in 1962 entitled Drug-Induced Mysticism, and he's been a meaningful figure at Esalen ever since. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Adam Bramlage. My name is Adam Bramlage. I'm the founder of Flow State Micro, which is a mushroom, a functional mushroom company, as well as a microdosing educational platform. Uh, what I'm doing in the world right now is educating people on microdosing, uh, best practices, the ancestral history of it, um, and then, you know, most importantly, how to use it safe and effectively in their life. So that's what I'm doing right now. Great. You know, I think it might be a useful way to start this discussion by really like starting at ground zero at the basics. What is a substance that people microdose? The two most popular substances that people microdose are LSD and psilocybin mushrooms. And maybe we back it up even farther and we say that what is a microdose for somebody who might not be familiar? A microdose is one-tenth to one-twentieth of the normal dose of any substance, really. You know, microdose comes pharmacologically from the medicine world, but in the psychedelic world as well, it means you're taking a dose that's sub-hallucinogenic. So there's nothing about microdosing that has any classic psychedelic effects. So, you know, large dose experience is very different than microdosing. So microdosing is using very small amounts, in my case, of psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin to aid in mental health, performance, optimization. A lot of people use it for creativity. Um, and, you know, there's a long history of psychedelic use for creativity. Uh, Dr. Fadiman did a study back in the 60s um, about creativity and problem solving with large amounts of LSD. Again, microdosing is just using a very, very small amount of a psychedelic in a non-psychedelic way to improve mood and mental health. So why might someone choose mushrooms as opposed to LSD? That's great. Um, I always suggest mushrooms to beginners because I think there's 
there's a there's a easier learning curve with mushrooms. You know, LSD is an extremely strong and potent substance. You know, it's it's measured in the microgram or millionth of a gram, right, to show you how strong it is. Whereas psilocybin is measured in the milligram, thousandth of a gram. So, just in measurements alone, LSD is thou a thousand times stronger than something like psilocybin. So, with LSD, there's room for error. You know, you can take too much and have a large dose experience or a mini or a museum dose experience. So if you can carefully dose with LSD, the benefits of LSD include performance enhancement. It became popular in Silicon Valley with coders and people who felt like they could think outside of the box. So with LSD microdosing, it's more of an outward experience. Um, people feel like they're getting their tasks done more efficiently, whereas psilocybin microdosing seems to be a more inward or interpersonal experience. If somebody was maybe looking to work on interpersonal stuff instead of coding for 12 hours, they might want to microdose with psilocybin mushrooms instead of LSD. But both LSD and psilocybin mushrooms have similarities, like they both can improve energy and boost mood. And uh, so th there's a lot of different things that they share. But for beginners, um, that's why harm reduction and education is so important. You have to be really careful when you're dosing LSD specifically in the microdose range. What is a dose of mushrooms that would bring somebody into a psychedelic space? And then what is sort of the dose of mushrooms that someone might use for microdosing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll preface it by saying that everyone's unique. You know, one size doesn't fit all. So while I may say one dose works for somebody, it's easier to give a range of doses and then say people maybe stay safely in that. So with large dose LSD, you know, it's 100 micrograms to maybe 200 micrograms is considered by most people to be a large dose experience. That would be ego dissolving, on your back, extremely powerful experience uh, potentially. And then for a microdose of LSD, it could be anywhere from 5 micrograms to 10 micrograms upwards to 20 micrograms where people start to report it becomes more perceptual and, and you've noticed that you've taken something. So again, the microdose range for LSD is maybe 7 micrograms to 20 and the larger dose is 100 micrograms to 200 micrograms. Now, when you step into psilocybin mushrooms, a large dose, a heroic dose, let's start big by Terrence McKenna, was 5 grams, right? So that would be 5,000 milligrams. Now, I'd say for most people, you'd probably need to eat about a gram or a thousand milligrams to really start feeling like you're tripping and getting lift off. But some people also report they can feel that at 500 milligrams. So what we really suggest is to start low and go slow with any of these substances. Yeah. So when you start with psilocybin, if you're a beginner, we suggest starting at maybe 50 milligrams. Probably 100 is right around the dose that most people use, but we really suggest you starting low. So I would say a microdose of psilocybin is between 50 milligrams and some people maybe with a higher tolerance, 250 milligrams, maybe three. But there's a lot of people in, in the microdosing space that are taking too much of the substance and they're actually getting high and it's really not technically a microdose. Yeah, that's interesting to know. And would you explain cadences here? Like how often should somebody microdose if they're on a protocol? Yeah, that's great. There's three really popular microdosing protocols in the space today. The most popular is the Fadiman protocol, uh, named after Dr. Fadiman, um, who's kind of the father of modern microdosing. And that protocol is one day on, two days off. 
And so you dose on the first day, you take the second day off. That second day, you're getting after effects, you're still feeling good. And then that second day off, you're said to return to baseline, kind of come back to sober, and then you dose again on that fourth day. So that's the Fatiman protocol. Then there's also the Stamets protocol, that's Paul Stamets. That's five days on, two days off, or four days on, three days off. And then the Microdosing Institute protocol, which is a day on, day off. The most important thing is you can't microdose seven days a week. If you did, you'd build a tolerance. It would become ineffective. And, you know, the days off can be as good, if not better, than the days on, which is really different than pharmaceutical medicines. And yeah. it's tough for people to grasp that, wait, I took the pill today and I felt great, but you're telling me I can take it tomorrow and still feel great? And, yeah, the answer is yes. Well, what cadence do you advise when you're working with your clients uh, as a microdosing coach? Well, it's really unique to the individual, right? So the first thing I do is I meet with the individual and we talk about first, what kind of medications are you on? You know, are there potentially any contraindications? Mm. And then we talk about what, what are your intentions? You know, what are you looking to get out of this? So it's going to be a different protocol for every person. It's going to be unique to the individual. For people that I work with that are struggling with maybe mental health or depression, I suggest a more consistent protocol at first, like the Stamets protocols of four on, three off, or five on two off. Some people have reported that the Fatiman protocol, that second day off, they can return to some of that depression they were trying to avoid. So for mental health, we suggest protocols that are a little bit more frequent. And then for quote unquote healthy normals or people that are just trying to check this out and, and are in a good mental space, then probably the Fatiman protocol, which means you're taking the medicine the least number of days a week as well. You mentioned contraindications in terms of uh, possible medications that might make microdosing inadvisable. Yeah, well, it's important to note that there's no clinical trials on any of this. So any of the reports we get on contraindication is coming from citizen scientists like myself or people that are reporting to somebody like Dr. Fadiman that, hey, you know, lithium combined with microdosing doesn't work. So mm. one of the contraindications that we've heard of in over the years has been lithium. Now, what's interesting is for years, Dr. Fadiman advised against people using lithium, and then he got an email from somebody that said, well, actually, I use it with lithium, and it's fine. So what's important to note is although there might not be a lot of contraindications reported, it doesn't mean that they're not possible, mm -hmm. right? So the safest thing would be to wean or taper off of any medications before you start. At the same time, there are people that are using microdose as a aid or tool to help them wean off of said medications and, mm -hmm. and taper safely and effectively. But again, tapering is not something that doctors know much about or are really set up to help their patients with, especially when they've been on antidepressants and anti-anxieties for years. Yeah. Now you've talked in the past about struggling with depression. Can you speak a little bit about how microdosing disrupted that depression? Yeah, absolutely. For uh, a decade, I was in the cannabis space. I was a farmer and really believed strongly in the cannabis plant as something that I felt helped me with my depression. When I began to work with mushrooms and microdosing, I realized that the mushrooms were at a whole different level than the cannabis. And the way that I would explain it is cannabis was kind of like a Band-Aid over my wounds where it kind of numbed me out. You know, it was great, but it didn't necessarily help me dive into the wound and, and, and heal it. And that's what the psilocybin microdosing has really been helpful for me with. The mental health aspect, what I assume is happening, is the same with large dose psilocybin. There's a disruption of the default mode network. And the default mode network is the area of your brain that is ruminating all of those constant negative thoughts. And it's also an area of your brain that they've proven early childhood trauma or significant trauma in your life makes for an overactive default mode network. 
So what I think and some studies are beginning to show is that psilocybin interrupts that default mode network. Whether you want to say it blocks it or it disrupts it or it quiets it. You know, a lot of people I'm working with are telling me for the first time that mean voice in their head is not mean anymore. There's a lot kinder self-talk. So that's why I'm really into the mushroom side of the microdosing. I think there's something really sacred and special about fungi and, and them being our elders. And it's not surprising to me that hundreds of people can come to me with all kinds of different conditions and the, the mushrooms are able to treat so many different things on so many different levels. Yeah, so what I'm getting from you is that there might be a space for large dose mushrooms within this protocol. I mean, you're going to be microdosing, but is there a way that you mix in high dose sessions of psilocybin within this protocol? Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly clear, there are things that large dose experiences guided with the right set and setting and the right guides or therapists are going to access and levels of healing that microdosing are not going to get to. You know, it's a different thing. And yes, a lot of people are combining the large dose experience a few times a year with microdosing to integrate, right? Um, and then there's even groups in the psychedelic space who are trying to pass laws with the FDA because they believe that the answer to brain injury is the combination of large dose psilocybin, a loading dose as they call it, and then maintenance doses with microdoses of psilocybin to really repair and help that brain continue to heal after that large dose experience. So no, I absolutely think there's a huge, huge spot for both the large dose and the small dose. When I hear you talk about brain injury, it makes me think about the fact that you act as a coach for people who are professional athletes, and some of them are hockey players. So I'm imagining that concussion protocols have a, a lot to do with this. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're talking more and more about concussions in sports, and I'm honored to work with quite a few athletes in the NHL that are quietly microdosing and, you know, not only seeing benefits in performance enhancement, but more mentally, right? They're seeing the mental benefits, and that's what's so amazing, is we don't have medicines to treat brain injuries, especially really seriously damaged brain injuries. And, you know, an article just came out on Outside Magazine about a man that was paralyzed. He was a professional athlete. He was paralyzed, and eating large doses of mushrooms helped to repair what happened to him, and now he's walking and riding a bike. And, and it was the first big story to come out that said, hey, maybe large-dose psilocybin could be infective in repairing seriously brain-injured people. So, no, I believe strongly that that is the future. One of the many angles of psilocybin will be, you know, the large dose and the small dose loading and maintenance to really help the brain recover. Yeah, the road into the athletes initially was cannabis. You know, about seven or eight years ago, there's a handful of professional football and hockey guys who retired and came out and put their reputation on the line to say, we believe strongly in cannabis over pain pills. And so I began to work with them in that space. And then as I pivoted into this space, it was a natural evolution for me to reach out to a few of these people and say, hey, have you, you heard about this going on? As far as the professional athletes, it's it's like wildfire. You know, one of these guys sees a benefit. He tells one of his teammates and then next thing you know it's four or five guys on the same team who are doing it everything is word of mouth especially with the professional athletes and if somebody knows their body like if somebody like can take a substance and see if there's a difference in performance or mental attitude it's definitely a professional athlete you know they're they're finely tuned uh, you know sports car with their bodies so yeah it's it's been word word of mouth and it just continues to grow and i know i'm not the only one that's working with people who are microdosing in multiple leagues of pro sports
podcast today is brought to you by BetterHelp. I've been doing therapy since my late 20s. To me, therapy is everything. You know, it really is. It's helped me get through some of the roughest times in my life and live my life more truly. BetterHelp provides online therapy directly to you at a price that's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. So it's a great way to invest in yourself without breaking the bank and just kind of experiment with talking to another individual whose only job in the world is to help you unravel yourself and take a look at your defenses. When you sign up, you'll match with a therapist according to your needs. And who knows, it might take a few tries to find the right fit for you, so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. They have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash When they ask you how you heard of BetterHelp, be sure to type in Voices of Esalen. You mentioned working in the cannabis industry, and I know the cannabis industry has had this kind of wild ride from black market to gray market where cannabis was medicalized in certain contexts. It was decriminalized. You saw this whole thing go down. I'm wondering what the lesson of it was for you as we see kind of a push for psychedelics and mushrooms in particular to become either decriminalized or medicalized. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think my take on that is um, cannabis was a horrible mess up and just totally destroyed the industry and the small-time cottage farmer that was doing it for years. And the way psychedelics can do it differently is by decriminalizing it everywhere first. And what's amazing about Prop 120 or 122 in Colorado that just passed is not only have they legalized medicalization, if somebody wants to go pay $2,000 for a legal medical experience with psilocybin, they can. But they also made it legal for me to grow my own mushrooms under my bed and then share them with you in a ceremony with 10 people. That's groundbreaking. When they made cannabis legal, it was still illegal for other people to farm it or grow it or sell it or drive it in their car. People are still getting arrested in California for driving with certain amounts of weed in their car and things like that. So the big thing is decriminalizing it. Stop putting people in jail for it. That would be huge. And then after that, you know, legalization is going to happen. Big money is already into it. So as long as we protect the small people and we say we're going to stop arresting them, they also can grow, gift, and gather and get together and put on their own ceremonies and recoup their costs from it. And then the people who can't afford the super expensive legal ones can, you know, take care of themselves and take care of their community. Do you see large corporations and companies trying to move into the psychedelic space? Big money is already here. Big pharmaceutical is already here. They're already putting on conferences and gatherings and paying big dollars to make it look like they're putting on huge events. And so big money is already here. They're staking their claim, and we need to be careful as smaller people in a community that we don't go the way of legal cannabis. Yeah, it's interesting when I think about big pharma's moves within the psychedelic space. If a person is taking psychedelics, they're not going to take it in the same way that they'll take an antidepressant. They won't be using it every day. You've actually talked about longer that you microdose, the less you need to microdose. Yeah, absolutely. That's another one of the weird models that doesn't fit into Western medical model is the longer people microdose, the less they tend to need it. You know, a lot of people that come to me in serious mental health spaces might be on the Stamets protocol five days on, two days off for a month or two, and they might start to feel better. And then the next thing you know, they switch to the Fatiman protocol and it's one day on, two days off, and they're doing it three days a week. 
Next thing you know, it's once a week, maybe it's once a month. And then for a lot of people, it just becomes a tool in the toolbox that you're pulling out, you know, maybe in a certain case where you need it. But it is the exact opposite of Western pharmaceutical medicine. The more people use it, the less they need to use it because they're feeling better. They're healing the stuff that needs to be healed that was being covered up by pharmaceuticals, weed, porn, TV, you name it, food. And, and, you know, the mushrooms, in my opinion, force you to look at stuff and deal with it. And since they're blocking that ruminating area of your brain and creating new neural pathways, you can think more creatively about your traumas and your problems and maybe your current situation as well. But what I have really discovered over the course of the last year, writing a book and preparing for this workshop that's coming up at Esalen, that we have a long ancestral history of microdosing. Could potentially be traced all the way back to the stoned ape hypothesis that Terence McKenna created, which was the idea that, you know, as Homo erectus came out of the trees, we began to hunt, we began to trunk animals, we began to find psilocybin mushrooms in their dung, ingested them, and from that we became better hunters, we became more loving, sociable community. It could go as far back as the beginning of our evolution of of a race. I was able to trace it to the aboriginals of Australia, which have been proven to be the oldest known people on the planet, said to have left Africa 75,000 years ago, and they microdose a bush called paturi, which is DMT, and they use small amounts of paturi to aid in hunting. So essentially what I found is throughout time, our ancestors on every continent and still in use today in much, much indigenous tribes throughout Mexico and the world is they've used microdosing to enhance hunting mm-hmm. and to aid in community building and performance. And when you ran out of food or there hadn't been a kill in a few days, the microdose was going to give the band of hunters better energy to track down that animal. Yeah. Talk to me about the Huichol people. Yeah, so the Huichol people are pretty amazing, and the Raramari, I'll talk about both quickly. The Huichol are more into the large dose experience. They actually only microdose once from what I can find, and it's once a year when they go on their sacred peyote pilgrimage. So they have to hike 100, 200 miles to the sacred spot where they find the peyote. Well, what's amazing is the first person to find a peyote button calls everyone around and they all share the peyote button. They microdose the peyote and then on the microdose, they go out and they find all their peyote for the entire year. That's really the only time they use microdosing. Now, the Raramari, which are another pre-Columbian tribe that hasn't been changed from before Columbus arrived, they only use small amounts of peyote, and they're super long-distance runners that can run 100 to 200 miles in one go. And they're also called persistence hunters. So they literally can run birds and animals to death to the point where they're so exhausted from running and taking off and running and take off that they just fall over and die. So these, uh, they're still, you know, hunting with bow and arrow and they wear uh, a sandal that's essentially made out of tires that are thrown on the side of the road. Sandals are about half an inch thick. They tie around their ankles and these runners regularly outrun the top professional ultra marathon runners in the world. Wow, super incredible. I've heard you say that microdosing kind of introduced a discipline into your life. Yeah. I, you know, there are a lot of people that have the idea of the lazy stoner. I'm not going to say that was me, but I definitely was unmotivated to some extent. 
like to play the victim a lot and, and like to, you know, play that kind of story. And when I began to microdose psilocybin, it really changed my self-talk and my mental story. And what I felt it was, it was like a motivator. It was like a life coach that was like, oh, you want to lay in bed all day and feel sorry for yourself? Uh-uh. You know, that's, that's not how we get better. Like, get up, take a shower, go to the gym, eat your food. So for me and my personal experience, when I got involved in it, it just really was a close friend, something that, you know, I like to say like the biggest side effect of microdosing is falling in love with yourself. Really beginning to like like who I am through all the trauma, through all the things and that was tough for me. I had a big loud critic in my head and the first thing ever to help me with silencing it and changing the story was psilocybin in small doses. I think with the cannabis, for me, it was just about to the point where um, it didn't control me. You know, as long as your relationship with cannabis, you have the control. Because she's like a non-addictive relationship. Yeah, she's a seducer, man. I worked closely with her for years. She's seductive and she's beautiful and she's amazing. But you know, she's a tool, and like any tool, she can cut you or she can heal you. So. It's, it's an interesting time. Again, I have people that come to me that uh, are interested in treating their mental health and they begin microdosing psilocybin and their eczema problem for 30 years disappears. Mm -hmm. And there are people that want to say, well, this is all placebo. But then I say to them, how do you explain when somebody has something healed that they weren't planning on healing or they weren't thinking about healing? So that's a lot of what, you know, I'm seeing as well as what Dr. Fadiman has seen for years is that people come in for one condition and then they end up treating multiple. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about people committing to a month if they want to try microdosing. So talk to me about that. Yeah, we like to say that you really should give microdosing at least a month before you decide whether or not it worked. You know, microdosing is a really subtle experience. It's like brick by brick. It's little baby steps every day. You're kind of just learning to have a better day every day. And so for a lot of people... They want to give up after day one or day two and, you know, they didn't see God or there weren't pigs floating across the room, so it must not be working. <laughs> and so it's why education in microdosing is really important. Like, if you knew that, you know, you're supposed to do a full month protocol and you're supposed to journal every night and track this and your dosage and what you're eating, then, you know, you'd have a better idea of if this is really working for me or not, you know. So there's just a lot of aspects in the microdosing world that can enhance someone's experience, like knowing to have a journal, you know, knowing what the dose levels are, knowing what's considered too high and what's too low. So yeah, it's really about, you know, teaching people in a way that's exciting, but also reducing harm because these can be dangerous substances used in the wrong set and settings. What would you say is one of the most common mistakes that people might make when microdosing? They're either going to give up too quickly or they're going to take too much of the substance and they're going to feel very uncomfortable and very anxious and they're going to be like, this is this sucks and they're going to stop. They did a global study uh, in the last year. They surveyed 32,000 people and 20 to 40 percent of these 32,000 people who tried microdosing quit within four days. And they were quitting because they didn't have their dose levels right. And if you don't have the simple knowledge of how much of this mushroom to take, it's going to be a very uncomfortable and potentially unsafe experience. You know, I know there are a lot of psychonauts out there that are like, oh, microdosing, you know, we can all figure this out. We don't need to learn about it. But it's like, no, there's a lot of room for error here. And uh, it's really important that harm reduction and education is on the leading front of the legalization and decriminalization of psychedelics.
Yeah, you brought up James Fadiman a bunch of times during this discussion. Of course, he was a really important figure at Esalen. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about James Fadiman, your association with him. James Fadiman is a dear friend and colleague and, and mentor. And about four or five years ago, I met him after a conference in, in Utah shared my work with them, what we were doing, and, and since then we've just been friends and working closely, sharing a lot of data. And I'm really excited that I think it's the first time in maybe two decades Jim Fadiman is coming back to Esalen January 13th to 15th with myself. We're going to be teaching a microdosing weekend, which we sold out, which is amazing, but we're also going to be doing a digital stream for the weekend so anybody can join us. But Jim Fadiman is considered the father of modern microdosing. You know, I would not be sitting here today talking about microdosing if it wasn't for Jim Fadiman. Now, while he was a big part of large dose experiences in the 60s, once Nixon shut that all down with the war on drugs, there wasn't much he could do. So when he wrote Psychedelic Explorer's Guide 12, 13 years ago and talked about subperceptual uses of psychedelics, Thousands of people began to write him emails basically saying it cured my shingles, you know, it's helping me with this, it's helping me with that. And he essentially created the, the modern movement. And over the last decade, no one has really had any interest in it, kind of giving him a hard time for it and it's all placebo. And yet now it has just totally taken off. There's studies that are proving its validity. Paul Stamets is on board out there talking about it and his Stamets stack and his experiences with it. So, you know, we can't be talking about microdosing without talking about Jim Fadiman in modern times and really psychedelics. You know, they said in How to Change Your Mind, all roads led back to Jim Fadiman. You know, he was working with Myron Stolaroff and Al Hubbard back in the day. I mean, he's telling me stories about going to Death Valley and taking Sandoz LSD and Al Hubbard leading him through the experience, telling me about going to a Oscar Janiger's house in Hollywood where he would dose all of the famous Hollywood celebrities with LSD, and he's just a living legend. And what's amazing is Jim not only proposed to his wife here, but he was married here at Esalen, and uh, it's just an amazing full circle moment to bring him back and to have him sell this weekend out you know, in record time so quickly and to be able to set up this digital stream so we can share it with thousands of people who can't be here. So um, it's just a really beautiful full circle moment and I'm just honored to be sharing the stage with him. Well, I don't know if this is going to be uh, an easy question to answer or not, but like, let's say there's people out there who want to microdose. Is there a roadmap? Yeah, there is a roadmap for this, and that's why I'm so excited about the, the weekend in January. Is part of the weekend in January is that roadmap. You know, we're going to be going over best practices. We're going to be going over the substances. We're going to be going over the dosages. You know, there'll be charts for people to see what is considered a microdose and what's considered a large dose. So it's all about educating yourself. You know, working with psychedelics, you know, you should think of like climbing a serious mountain, whether it's K2 or Everest. Like, you're not just going to buy a bag backpack and fly over there and start hiking the mountain, right? You're going to do some reconnaissance. You're going to do some training. You're going to research your gear. You're going to acclimatize the elevation. And it's like, people need to take microdosing seriously. Yeah. yeah if you're experienced psychonaut, you probably figured it out. You've probably adjusted your dose levels and figured it out. But for those that are new, which is the majority of people coming into this world, it's important to have some guidance. So yeah, the digital stream that we're going to be doing for Esalen January 14th, that's going to have, I believe, close to six hours of information on microdosing. Uh, not only for myself, but Dr. Fadiman, Dr. Connor Murray, PhD, who uh, just did another LSD microdosing study he's going to be talking about, which is fascinating. And then we have another woman, Rachel, who's going to be doing um, a talk on stacking and herbs. So, it, you know, it's about seeking out 
people who have experience the same way I'd seek out a Sherpa if I was going to go hike K2. Well, Adam Bramlage, Sherpa of the Modern World for Microdosing Mushrooms, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you on Voices of Esalen today. How can people find you on the web if they're interested in learning more about you and the work that you do? Thanks, Sam. Yeah, they can check me out on Instagram at flowstatemicro or at flowstatemicro.com, and they can reach out to me, Adam, at flowstatemicro.com. And come check us out at Esalen. Again, we're doing a live digital stream January 14th. It's on sale right now for $99, which is an incredible deal to get six hours of information. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So appreciate you having me. And I'd just like to say it's an honor to be teaching here at such a sacred space where Joseph Campbell and Aldous Huxley and McKenna's and the Fatimans and the Stamets of the worlds have been to. So it's an honor to be here and I appreciate you having me, Sam. Thanks for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. Additional music by Bruce Bruce. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with someone you love or just like, or maybe with someone you're just fond of. <laughs>